0: morning we begin a summer sermon series on the book of Romans. And our text this morning comes from the very first chapter of that book in the New Testament, authored by the Apostle Paul. If any of you have taken a public speaking course, you've probably heard the acronym KISS. Stands for keep it simple, stupid. For any speaker, you're supposed to keep it simple. Or perhaps you've heard this one. Tell them what you're going to tell them, Then tell them, and then tell them what you've told them. Well, following that, the Apostle Paul, in this very first chapter in Romans, is telling his listeners what he's going to tell them. And he tells them in these verses in chapter 1. I invite you to listen for God's word for you. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. As it is written, the one who is righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer together? Almighty and everlasting God, we come before you, for we need a word from the Lord. We ask that you would quiet within us any voice but your own, and that you would speak to us now as only a living God can. For we pray in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. One death can change the future. Ludwig died. Few really knew him beyond his circle of family and friends. It was really his more famous brother that the world would come to know. But Ludwig's death became a catalyst for something else to happen. An entire fortune became available for the advancement Of science. On the occasion of Ludwig's death, one French newspaper forgot to check their facts before going to print. Back then, it was 1888, the French newspaper should have checked their sources so that the accuracy of the story would be more carefully considered. Instead of publishing the obituary of Ludwig, They published an obituary about his brother. And his brother had the uncomfortable experience of waking up one morning and reading his own obituary in the newspaper. Now, do you ever wonder what others are going to say about you after you're gone? I mean, how would you like your life to be characterized after it's over? Can you imagine waking up and reading in the morning newspaper your own epitaph? Now, of course, obituaries about people not yet deceased are not at all that uncommon, really. One of the most famous is the story of the New York Journal obituary that published Mark Twain's obituary. To which he replied, the reports of my death are greatly exaggerated. Rudyard Kipling was identified in a magazine as deceased, which prompted him to write, I've just read that I'm dead. Don't forget to delete me from your list of subscribers. Even Pope Benedict XV received a premature obituary in the New York Press with the headline, Pope Benedict XV is dead, followed by a later edition headlined, Pope has a remarkable recovery. In 1888, the premature obituary about Ludwig's brother, Alfred Nobel, the well-known scientist, the one credited with inventing dynamite, He patented that invention in October of 1867 and the French newspaper in the obituary described the inventor as the merchant of death. That was the way that Alfred Nobel was going to be remembered and it caused him no small amount of consternation in order to counteract that inevitable legacy he was to leave in life the wealthy and the very determined Alfred Nobel established the Nobel Prizes through his will and the bulk of his estate and according to the will the awards are given for the discoveries that have changed the scientific paradigm in some important area of life science Awarded annually, the Nobel Prizes are announced in October and they're awarded in a lavish affair on December the 10th, the actual anniversary of Alfred Alfred Nobel's death. There are prizes in many areas, including medicine and physics, and one of the more famous is the Nobel Peace Prize. Alfred Nobel was determined that he would not be remembered as a merchant of death. He successfully used his estate and its influence to reverse an unwanted outcome and to advance the cause of civilization. One death can change the future. The word dynamite is what interests me this morning. Dynamite. It's an English word that comes from the Greek word that is used in this text today. That word is dunamis. It is simply translated power in the New Revised Standard Version. The power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. It's about letting this dynamite loose in human life. This dunamis, this explosive force, this life-altering power that's available in Christ. So what are we to make of this? Certainly we're all interested in finding power in our living. We talk of empowering our communities or of empowering change in our society. We know from our our own experience that we cannot muster all the power we need in life from within. So what are we to make of this kind of dynamic dynamite power? I first encountered the power time, I first encountered the power team in San Diego many years ago. They're a group of weightlifters and bodybuilders, these muscular fitness experts who travel mostly to churches and schools to impress kids with their feats of strength. They lift one another. They crush blocks with their hands and their arms. They lift logs and refrigerators, all to demonstrate this remarkable, intimidating strength. And then... They talk about their faith as the real secret of their strength. And apparently, American culture eats this stuff up. Now, at its best, I think it's a counter-argument to the idea that people who go to church are somewhat wimpy and weak. But at its worst, it perpetuates this childish view of power and heroes. And what I find laughable about all of it is that it takes this cultural idea of power and it seeks to dress it up in Christian clothing as if Jesus today would be a weightlifter, crushing things, intimidating others. Now, you see, the power of the cross transforms our understanding of power itself. It's a different kind of power. It's not the power to crush opponents. It's the power to absorb, to reverse, to overcome. It's the power of love. It's not superhero power. We don't need miraculous powers like the Hulk or Superwoman or Spider Man. We need the kind of power that makes us truly human and fully alive. I'm really grateful in these past months that our superheroes have come to be frontline health workers, first responders, Dr. Anthony Fauci, our local officials, mayors, governors, here's the point to no longer live afraid no longer live cowering self-protected lives that's power to live by faith to live for some noble end to live into a better world and a better future that's power where it's needed To live sacrificially. To live lovingly. That's power where it's needed. Abraham Lincoln understood this kind of power. And he understood the moment he was in on the occasion of his second inaugural address speaking to a divided nation. When he wrote and said these words with malice towards none and charity for all, with firmness in the right as God gives us to see the right, let us strive to finish the work we're in, to bind up the nation's wounds, to care for him who shall have borne the battle, and to do all which may achieve and cherish a just and lasting peace among ourselves and with all nations. End quote. Now that's power where it's needed. So Paul begins his letter to the Romans with an opening volley I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why start with such a negative term? Ashamed. Following Dr. Reverend Dr. Earl Palmer, there's four possible reasons we might be ashamed of the gospel. What if the gospel were first untrue? What if this was just a fabrication, that Jesus simply died as one other protester and a rabble-rouser at the hands of the government? And there really is no victory over death and sin's power in human life. What if it's simply not true? We're left to our own devices. We're stuck in our own sins. We're forever stained by our own past. We're disabled in the present to do anything about the problems in our lives or about the future. If the gospel is untrue then we might be ashamed of it. But what if the gospel is true, but powerless, without impact in the world? What if it only leads to weakness in people, tepid responses to evil, passiveness from churches when people's lives are threatened? What if the gospel were true, but without power, power for change or power to confront evil, then we might be ashamed. Our young people today want to see adults stand up for something when it matters and when it counts. What if the gospel were true and powerful, but not good? What if it led to vilifying other people rather than leading to love what if the gospel led to hate to regarding others as evil and only deserving of death what if it led to jihad then we might be ashamed and finally number four what if the gospel were true the gospel were powerful The gospel is good, but it's not universal. Only those who are like us are allowed in the inner circle. Only those who speak my language and have my heritage and share my political views and my skin color and my worldview, only those are the ones who are included. Then we might be ashamed. But Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because it is true and it is powerful and it is good and it is universal. And Paul is absolutely convinced that Jesus Christ has the power to keep his promises and that Jesus Christ has power over sin and evil and death. And this is the power that's the match for the problems of the world today. Salvation. Salvation is the fulfillment of our very beings. God gives what only God can give to creatures like us, himself. God simply does not will to be God without us. God's history and ours take place as common history. We forfeit our salvation. Nevertheless, it is given to us as a free gift of grace by a loving God. Grace for all humankind. You see, one death can change the future. Paul calls it the righteousness of God. Biblical scholars differ on whether that's understood as a subjective or an objective genitive. In the Greek, righteousness. It's verbal more than it is a noun. It, it means right-wising, making right. Comes from God as a gift. But it comes not only as a gift, it comes with The giver. Boltmann believes a new possibility has broken into the human sphere in Jesus Christ. Kazeman believes it's a new power that's broken into the human sphere. Human action is a result of God's action, setting the world aright. It's God who acts. And then us. One death can change the future. It happened with Ludwig Nobel. It happened with Abraham Lincoln. Perhaps it will happen with George Floyd. But there's only one death that changes the world the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. And salvation is what we need today. Salvation, it means to make safe. It means to integrate. It means to pull the pieces together. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing that can pull the pieces of this life together and restore meaning and value and justice and peace. That's why we come to the table this morning at the conclusion of our service. We come to the Lord's table. We come to receive the gift of God himself. Jesus is both the means and the end. Jesus is both the object of our faith and the subject of our faith. God has given us himself. And it sets... The world on its axis again. All are invited to come to this table. All are invited to stay at this table in communion with our God and with one another to receive the righteousness of God, salvation. For everyone who has faith. This faith is true. This faith is powerful. This faith is good. And this faith is universal. And so we need not be ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God where it's needed most.